on this episode of The Kinked Wire. The tract essentially found that really it's the people with iliofemoral DVT that are the ones that are most likely to benefit, and that in fact quality of life was improved in the iliofemoral patients. And so that certainly suggests that we're barking up the right tree with the C-TRAC trial. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the new podcast for SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more at our website, sirweb.org slash IRQ. Hot on the heels of the ATTRACT trial results comes another exciting new trial on PPS, CTRAC, or chronic venous thrombosis, relief with adjunctive catheter-directed therapy. Here's what private practice IR Mary Costantino told us about the value of CTRAC to her patients. I'm thrilled that people are researching these clinical questions, and it's incredibly pertinent for those of us out there in non-university settings who are trying on a daily basis to do the right thing. Recently, Kinked Wire hosts Warren Krakoff and Damon Shaw spoke with Suresh Pedantha, the principal investigator of both ATTRACT and CTRAC, on the importance of such research efforts, the potential of CTRAC to help your patients, and how you can get them enrolled in the study. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. This is going to be, I think, a great experience. I remember when the trap trial sort of breaking news, and now we're certainly very excited to hear some more about the C-TRACT trial as well. So obviously, you've been very involved in uh, quite a bit of research. What do you find really appealing about this? Well, first of all, I started out uh, pretty much just like uh, most interventional radiologists, taking care of patients. And I see these patients with venous disease. And it's very clear that the disease has a major impact uh, on their lives, on their families, on their ability to work. And then over the years, you know, I really became concerned that, one, if people are benefiting from what we're doing, and I think they are, uh, we're really treating only the smallest sliver of the patients that are actually out there and might be able to benefit. I think that we need to search for truth uh, if we're really going to help patients. And I think that doing these high-quality trials is probably the best way uh, to really search for truth and factor that information in along with our clinical observations. Were you always interested in research, you know, like back in med school? I did get involved in doing different kinds of research way back when, even starting as an undergraduate. And the different things that I've done research in are pretty broad. You know, I, for a while I was interested, <laughs> you know, I did andrology research, I've done oncology research, um, mm. different things you know, along the way. So I guess that was part of my background and training to some extent. I never envisioned or imagined that I would evolve into something of more of a serious researcher in the way that I've become. Um, that was very much serendipitous and more, more or less a result of seeing opportunities where they were and just pursuing hmm. them in the moment rather than really planning it up front. What do you think is the biggest challenge for people that want to get into research or research in interventional radiology today? This has not been a core part of our culture in the way that it is for, for example, cardiologists or oncologists, where even if you're in private practice in cardiology or oncology, the private practitioners, they know the trials, they pay attention to the trials that are done, and they participate and enroll people in the trials, you know. Hopefully, now that we have an IR residency, that's the first step in getting a platform to then build out additional elements of which one hopefully would be more robust research training to make it part of our culture for the people that are entering the field. I think that just gaining that belief in the idea that randomized trials and data are as important as our own clinical observations, I think we can do more to kind of promote that very idea. 
We also can do a lot more in terms of our emissarial work to the NIH, to other uh, funding agencies, and really lay the groundwork so that when they get approached by a young IR investigator, uh, they have some idea what it is that we're talking about and who we're dealing with and what the potential value is of funding those kinds of researchers. The ATTRACT trial was a huge trial that gave lots of insight about what to do with patients that have these acute processes. And I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about how the C-TRACT trial is a little bit different than the ATTRACT trial and kind of what you're hoping to learn about chronic venous disease? You know, well, C-TRACT and ATTRACT are interesting. You know, they on the one hand, they are certainly related in the sense that overall the trial leadership group is largely the same. They're both NIH-sponsored multi-center randomized trials, pivotal trials, um, looking at endovascular therapy. Now, on the other hand, ATTRACT was very different in the sense that ATTRACT was deliberately broad. In other words, we had been licensing DVT patients for a number of years, but really we were referred just patients with the worst DVT. And we then saw an opportunity to ask the question of, well, should we be licensing a much broader number of DVT patients? So the way we designed that trial was deliberately to enroll a very broad cohort of initially presenting DVT patients and then see where that led and see if really we should be applying the treatment to a broader number of patients. C-TRACT is very different, really. We're really focused on looking at the people who have iliac vein obstruction, meaning either stenosis or total occlusion, and who have moderate or severe post-thrombotic syndrome already. So this is a much more focused group of patients, and they're required to have good inflow to their common femoral vein. So this is really the population we think and feel pretty confident that we should be treating. And so we're really focused on that, and that is a bit different than a track where we were looking much more broadly. I will say that the results of a track really do point in the direction that C-TRACT is a very fruitful endeavor in the sense that a tract essentially found that really it's the people with iliofemoral DVT that are the ones that are most likely to benefit, and that in fact quality of life was improved in the iliofemoral patients that we were able to uh, open the veins in. And so that certainly suggests that we're barking up the right tree with the C-TRACT trial. Do you think the narrower focus of patients that you describe with the C-TRACT trial will make it harder to find these patients or recruit patients into the trial? Uh, yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. Um, it's a great point. It does make it a bit more difficult. Having said that, look, we know that there's lots of these patients out there, you know, and we know that moderate or severe PTS occurs in about a quarter of patients that get a um, proximal DVT, right? So you're talking about quite a large number of people each year just developing the condition, and then you also have the prevalent population, people that have had the disease for years, right? Um, so there's lots of them out there. We know that there's lots of venous stenting being done and that the use of venous stenting is increasing now that we have FDA-approved venous stents. Um, so uh, there certainly are the patients out there. Connecting them up with study sites is indeed a challenge that we're trying to address in different ways. In terms of that, actually, in terms of getting more sites and, you know, getting more, you know, people looking at it, um, I'm curious, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think the inclusion criteria is at least a three-month history, so you can't have an acute DVT. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. We're looking at people so, in the chronic phase. So is there a, a ceiling to that? I mean, you'll go after, you know, any chronically occluded iliac, no matter how long, that, you know, that kind of thing. Folks don't have to worry about you know, it's been like that for, you know, 10 years or I don't know, whatever the situation may be. 
No, it really doesn't matter how long it's been, you know, really. I mean, and in fact, in our clinical practices, you know, I've opened up iliac veins in people who's, who have literally had iliac vein obstruction for 20 years uh, or cable obstruction mm. for 20 years, and they seem to improve as far as I've been able to tell in my short-term experience with them, right? And so that's the population that we are enrolling. So no matter how far out they are, that doesn't really limit it. That's great. And then filter patients, are they excluded uh, in any way? I know previous stents are excluded, correct? Yeah, if they have stents in the same iliac vein, then they would be excluded. Uh, but filter okay. patients are not excluded. They can be enrolled. Because that, I would think, might you know, even open up more you know, participants into the study. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and I think you know, certainly those patients are a touch more complex to manage in the sense that you do need to sure. think about how you're going to manage that IVC segment. But having said that, that's what we're doing in clinical practice. So uh, there's no reason those people shouldn't be in the trials. Great. You know, I had just treated a patient for iliac vein occlusion a week ago who meets more or less all of the criteria to be enrolled into the study, and I just hadn't thought of it, and my institution isn't signed up to be part of the study. So if somebody like myself wanted to kind of get involved, what are the steps to get my institution enrolled into the study? And then if there is a patient that I recently treated, can I go retroactive and get those patients into the study? The patients can't be retroactively enrolled. In other words, it's prospective, randomized trial. So it's really people as they're on the way in. Having said that, um, we are absolutely looking for more qualified sites. You really, you just have to shoot an email to me, or you can go to our, our website. But easiest way would be just to shoot an email to me directly. And we would send a site questionnaire to you. And we're generally looking for sites that have a multidisciplinary team. In other words, there's expert in medical uh, DVT therapy and also some way to deliver high quality venous ulcer care. But the bottom line is that uh, we would kind of look at the application you sent us. It takes literally 10 minutes to fill out, so it's not like it's a long, mm. difficult process. Uh, and then decide right. if, it, if it looks like you know, you're a site that could be in, and then we would get permission from the NIH and then send you the full startup materials. But there are some requirements around having had some procedural experience, obviously, we can, especially because it's chronic occlusions, which we know do require a certain amount of technical experience. But having said sure. that, you know, I encourage you to apply. We have about 25 sites in right now, and we are approved by the FDA to go up to four. Um, and we would love to get more sites in as quickly as possible. I understand as well that there's there's a way to enroll patients through an app. Yes. So, you know, we recognized from the get-go that this particular population, it's not like you're enrolling acute DVT people who may come to the hospital mm. or the emergency room. Most of these people are sitting at home. So finding some way to connect people up uh, to the study sites, this is really a, a huge challenge for us. To make that easier, we developed and built an app. And basically, once you download it onto your smartphone, you can refer patients to the study in literally about 10 seconds without breaking stride. Essentially, the, wow. the app, you go onto it and it's going to ask you three quick questions, which are, A, do you have a patient? Yes. What's your contact information or a contact information for your staff? And then when you click yes to those, it will send an automated email to our clinical coordinating center we will then contact the contact information, right, which, again, is not patient information, kind of provider information, and then ask you, okay, well, does it sound remotely reasonable? And we'll talk to you about the patient very briefly and then figure out where you are and then connect you up to the nearest study site. I think that's such a cool idea. And hopefully, you know, if we and others, you know, if we can help publicize that, we can get more people enrolled to see what can be done for these patients. The biggest challenge we've had is getting people to download it onto their smartphones. Where do one go to find the app? 
Yeah, you go either either the Apple Store or the Google oh, Play okay. Store on your smartphone. Yeah, and just put in oh, C-Track. No. Yeah, you can do it in a minute pretty much, but still getting people to do it is challenging. Yeah, you know, obviously folks on the SIR website is one group, but you want to have a broader appeal. That's right, that's right. And I think people have to be willing. I think the other thing is that in our in our field, you know, we have to be willing. This is true not just for C-Track, but other uh, large studies we have to be willing as individual practitioners to make it a cultural thing where we do everything we can uh, within reasonable bounds to refer our patients to high-quality clinical studies. And that's a hard thing because we get a, a case and they're exciting to us, but I think that at the end of the day, for the long-term good of our field and our patients, we have to be willing to, to do that. And I think that can be a barrier in a trial like a track where the people most motivated about it are the people that do the procedures. And getting them to say, well, you know what, I'm going to actually try and see if this patient can be enrolled in the study at a study site, that's also a bit of a, a lift, you know, that we have to try and cross as a, really hopefully as a collective. Yeah, that's a, a, a point. And one, I guess one observation I would make, too, is that, you know, in some ways, I think uh, as interventional radiologists, we've become a little bit subspecialized. And, you know, you may have uh, IRs who, eh, they just, you know, they do, I don't know, interventional oncology or something else. So, you know, that kind of an IR should certainly feel motivated to look their patient in the eye and say, hey, I don't really deal with that, but here's where you want to be. Absolutely. And I think the other thing to remember is that when you, when you talk about getting enrolled in a randomized trial, a lot of people exclude any way you look That's at sure. it. You know? And sure. so the truth is that if you call me about 10 patients, the reality is that we're probably only going to end up enrolling a couple of them, right? And I think in the end, the net result is that we're going to end up delivering better care to our patients. And in the end, I think that'll be good for our practices. Well, I think these hurdles are what we need to get over to be able to get the data that some other specialties have that drive what they do. Everything is going to come down to data. Um, and being able to get it is by enrolling in trials like this or attract previously or, you know, other ones that exist so that we can continue to support what we do and then have a stronger case to our referring physicians or our colleagues to say, hey, you know, this is going to definitely help your patient and we have data to support it. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to ask, how often does the National Institutes of Health devote $12 million to an interventional trial? I mean, how often does that mm. really happen? They're making a huge investment in the study, right, uh, for us to be able to advance the care of PTS. And I really hope that the community will be able to pull together and agree that we really need to get this data. Are you getting close to where you want to be in terms of enrollment, or do you still have a ways to go? We still have a ways to go. Um, you know, we've, we've enrolled about 10% of the overall population in the study that we need to get. Okay. Uh, we have, I think it's about 46 patients, and we have to get to 374. So we have a long way to go. So we need more sites. We need a faster rate of enrollment as well. And, and the funny thing is that at first I would have thought, okay, well, maybe there'll be patients that don't want to be in. But actually, the consent rate is not bad at all, really. But the, the number of people being enrolled to the study could be improved quite a lot, I believe. Being in a trial is good for patients when they're in a trial in a structured care setting with kind of expert oversight of the protocol and management. So it's good for your patients. I think it'll be good for all of our uh, practices in the long run. We have one question uh, that we ask of all of our participants. If there is one thing that you could change today in healthcare, what would it be? Oh, eliminate all the financial incentives. 
and I realize it's a kind of a big ask <laughs> to put it mildly, but um, but really that would be the thing. I mean, I, it, you know, just it's crazy that so I'm quote a DVT expert, right? And yet people come to me and I see them in clinic and I say, okay, well, you know, you should be on this anticoagulant drug. You know what? Guess what? I don't decide what anticoagulant drug my patient is on. <laughs> it's what anticoagulation drug their insurer will cover. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. That's the way this is, right? And we can go on and on on that, obviously, you know, but that is just nuts to me that, you know, we don't really decide. Uh, even the patient doesn't really get as much of a voice as they should have in all of this. Uh, the options have gotten more and more limited, and that's really unfortunate. And I, I wish that's something that could change, and uh, I think it may be in, you know, over time, incrementally, it can change. Obviously, it's not going to completely go away. That was Dr. Suresh Vedantham, PI of the C-TRAC trial. Still not sure whether to enroll your patients? Here's what Dr. Costantino told us about the C-TRAC referral app. I think it was yesterday or the day before, I got back onto the app and sent the referral, and the coordinator emailed me in a matter of 10 minutes, and I did call the patient, and he was incredibly grateful that I had a place for him to go. So patients are also very, very happy to be enrolled in these trials. The value that that patient brings and what the trial centers bring to all of us as an IR family is way more than what I bring just treating that patient individually. We thank our guests, Suresh Vedantham and Mary Costantino, for their time, and we thank you for listening. Our co-hosts are Dr. Warren Krakoff and Dr. Damon Shaw. Our sound engineer is Dr. Jason Fisher. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. To let us know what topics you'd like to hear or any other feedback, Drop us a line at irq at sirweb.org.